listening to First Church Charlotte. And we love you. So uh, let's read in the scripture together. Let's read in Romans and we'll read at chapter number seven. And uh, why don't you stand with me as is our habit. We'll read quickly and then I'll return you to your seat. Romans chapter number seven, verse number 21. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Paul's saying evil's present with me even when I will to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. There's this part of me that wants desperately to please God, to delight in God. There's this part of me that strives for the good, uh, verse 23. But I see another law in my members. I have this problem. There's this other law within me that wars against the law of my mind, which is decided. The law of my mind decided I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to serve God. But there's this other law inside me that frustrates me. It, it brings me into the captivity of, to the law of sin, which is in my members. And Paul's response is quite natural, very human. Oh, wretched man that I am. What a big loser. Just a big, fat disappointment that I am. You ever felt that way? Um, who will deliver me from the, this body of death? Well, here's the answer. I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So uh, I'm preaching from this question, this subject, are you a control freak? Before you're seated, smile at your neighbor and say, are you a control freak? Our problems with control start very early. How many, well, if you have children, you know this to be the case. Control starts being a problem right away. Uh, my wife and I eat out more than we want to because of the nature of our lives and the nature of you know making dancing between various obligations and works and business and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, we end up eating out a lot. And our kids at a very early age start getting very opinionated on where we go and what we eat. My four-year-old little girl, every time it's time to eat, will announce, Oh, I want to go to either Chick-fil-A or Red Lobster every single day. She wants to go to either Chick-fil-A or Red Lobster. So note to all the four-year-old boys, if you're looking for a date, my daughter will always go to Chick-fil-A or Red Lobster. She's like, I don't even care if I like them. If it's Chick-fil-A or Red Lobster, honey, we are going. So yesterday, being a man of discipline and control, I took her to Red Lobster because that's how I I am. So anyway... uh, Control starts early. Uh, we, we all of us are made comfortable by control. And whether or not you seek control in every area of your life, chances are there are more than a few areas where you really, if you are really honest with yourself, you kind of freak yourself out trying to control things you cannot control. So I want to say something here, and I want you to, I just want to let it sit for a minute, and I want you to think about the consequences of it, because it has been my experience that this is absolutely the truth for, for most people. Um, most of the dysfunction, that's where people do wrong-headed, ignorant, shall I even say dumb, crazy, and stupid things over and over trying to get a different result. They're, they're, they're dysfunctional. Most of the dysfunction that happens in our lives 
Most of the dysfunction that happens in families, most of the dysfunction that happens in relationships are a result at some level of us having problems with control. We're trying to control something we cannot control or we are failing to control something we actually could control. Praise God. Sister Lisa wrote down a note on that one. I want to have her write an article. She's a very good writer. I have her write an article about this. Most of the dysfunction, I want you to think about this. This, 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 this has consequences in my life. It has consequences in your life, okay? And it goes like this. Most of the dysfunction, that's where we do dumb things repeatedly trying to get a good result, okay? It comes from a desire to control something that's either not in our control or our failure to control something that actually is in our control. So let me say it like this. There is a very good chance at some level we all of us are control freaks. There is a good chance at some level. Now lean over to your neighbor, point with your finger and say that part was probably for you. Okay, so there's, 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 there's this reality in our life uh, that we try to control things that it isn't within our portfolio to control, and we fail to control things that actually is in our, in our control. So I want to give you a quick guide uh, to how you know if you are a control freak. This, of course, is not comprehensive, but it is fun, and it will apply to 99.9% of you at some level. Uh, If you believe that someone in your life would change for the better if they would just do the things you think they should do, there's a lot of guilt right over in this area of the church. Okay, so every woman marries a man hoping he will change, and every man marries a woman hoping she won't. Don't you? uh, Hopefully she's at work, or you are in the (laughs) doghouse. So, so, so here's the point. Um, if you, here's another how-to guide if you're a bit of a control freak. If you micromanage others to make them fit your unrealistic expectations and you struggle to accept imperfection, particularly in others, you might be a control freak. Number three, if you judge other people's behavior as right or wrong and then passively, aggressively withhold your affection until they line up with your expectations, honey, you a bona fide control freak. Number four, if you are quick to offer constructive criticism that really is a not-so-subtle attempt to advance your own agenda, and you do this repeatedly, If you change, this is a reverse one here. This one comes at you from the back door. Uh, If you change who you are when you are with other people, you're a control freak. You're just trying to control what they think of you. If you present worst case scenarios in an attempt to influence someone away from some parts of their life and toward others, this is also called fear-mongering. Honey, you might just be a control freak. If you have a hard time with uncertainty and it drives you nuts when you don't know the end of a matter, you might be a control freak. And if you truly think your happiness is ultimately dependent on what somebody else does, 
you probably have issues with being a control freak. Now, everyone bow your head. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, so um, we're going to have a confession service. And I'm going to take a microphone around to all of the married people. And we're going to have an hour of confession, true confession, on the issues of control freakendom. Um <laughs> So, 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 so how does this play out in our life? Well, the first thing, we want to control our image. We want to control what other people think about us. This is kind of a big deal. Uh, with the rise of social media, people send, and I should say spend, thousands of hours crafting their image of what they want you to think their life is like. They are trying to control what you think about them. They feel safe when they control what you think about them. And so it is not just social media, but this is also a religious thing. We want to control what people think about us. You barely prayed all week long. You watched two shows that were iffy at best. You fought with your wife on the way to church. But as soon as you walked into church, you said, "Mm, I feel the spirit. Honey, you hadn't felt spirit all week long, but you are trying to control what other people think of you, and then you look down your nose at somebody who edits their pictures on Facebook. It's been years since you saw an unedited picture. They're all edited. My wife and I took pictures not too long ago, and my belly was hanging out like it's 1999, and she said, honey, don't worry about it. I can fix it. He's an on-time God. <laughs> oh, yes, he is. <laughs> I was like, really? She said, yeah, don't worry about it. She got a little crop, and she cropped about 40 pounds off of me. <laughs> she said, look at this picture. I was like, Shazam! <laughs> Word! Preach! <laughs> she took me from a full gospel preacher <laughs> to a marathon gospel preacher in like three squeezes on the, 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 the screen. And I was like, can you do that to my side? She doesn't work that way. We craft our image. We want to control what other people think. You barely made it into church. You walk in here like, my God, I feel it. No, you don't. You've been fighting, cussing, carrying on, acting the fool, living irresponsibly all week long. You come to church. My God, honey, stop. God hates that. It's hard for us to admit we cannot control what other people think other people think about us. As I, 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 just being full disclosure here, one of the pain, most painful things in my life in ministry. So real quick, I've done you guys know this, I've done business, I've done ministry. A lot of people have only done ministry, a lot of people have only done business. So the question is, you know, is the preacher worth what he makes? Is he just laying around sleeping all day and then he gets paid by the church? Lots of people who've never been in ministry think that. And uh, you'll hear people say something like that. I've done both. I've had successful businesses. I've worked jobs. And I've also been a pastor. So I'm going to answer the question for you. No, ministry is not harder than business, but it's way more painful. I've done both. So this is my personal experience. Business can be much harder. Uh, it's not very often I get calls in the middle of the night. I do. Um, and I, I, I'd like anyone who would serve, just like our whole ministry team, we all would serve. We would get up. we go. If if situation we could help, we get up. we pray. All of that. But that's not as hard as some of the grind you guys carry by owning a business where you are, people say you're your own boss. No, that's not how business is. Everybody's your boss when you have your own business. It's just every 
client is your boss. And so um, uh, you, you're probably working harder physically, but I promise you there's way more pain in ministry. There's so much more pain in ministry. In business, if you don't like it, fine. Catch you on the flip side. In ministry, oh man, it's like you get gutted. And so um, that settles that issue. So um, the point is this. In ministry, there comes a point where we have to realize we cannot control what people think about us. I can't control how people frame what I do. I can't control what people say about me. You guys know that. Think of some of the things you've said about me. That's funny. I don't care what you say. Uh, I can't control that. You are always, and I am always tempted to try to control what people think about us. That is not in our hand to control. It simply drives us crazy and makes us dysfunctional. Number two, we try to control other people. Uh, if you're, uh, and what's funny about this is you can tell yourself, I can't control other people, and then walk right out of this church and try to control people. Um, you can't control other people. You can drive yourself crazy trying to control other people. You can uh, literally uh, feel like your life has come to no fruition whatsoever by trying to control other people, but you cannot control other people. Number three, you cannot control your problems. Uh, I, I wish that I could say to you, you can control your problems. There's a lot of problems in life you have no control over. You live long enough, you're going to get sick, and there's not going to be some simple answer for that sickness. You're going to have to deal with it. Somebody say yes. You're going to have to deal with it. You can't control your problems. However, you can, can control some things that have a tendency to influence your problems, but that's the best you get. You don't get to control your problems. Some of you were born with health conditions. You have to live with it. That was the cards you were dealt. You are living with it. Some of you have gone through terrible experiences, bad relationships, failed marriages. It's over. It's done. There's nothing you can do about it. It is out of your control you have to live with it. Number four, we think and we believe we can control our pain. I'm here to tell you, you drive yourself crazy thinking you can avoid pain, thinking you can control pain. You cannot control pain. All you can do is survive the days where pain controls you. You can't always control your pain. People can hurt you in an unexpected way you did not see coming. People can, 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 can in, even in meaning well, can rip you wide open. You know that. You've done it to others. Others have done it to you. You can't control your pain, but you can survive your pain on the days where it is overwhelming you. And through the grace of God and through the healing balm of Gilead, you can get to a place of spiritual healing. The most important healing in the church is not the physical healing that happens when you're healed from some sickness in your body. The most powerful healing in the church is when your soul is put back together when it has been shattered by life and broken by disappointment. Some of you need your soul to be anointed with oil. You need someone to speak faith over your soul. You need someone to pray for healing over your heart, your body. Like Jesus said, don't be afraid of the one who can kill the body, but be afraid of the one who can kill the soul. It's the soul that needs the miracle. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so, and so we see this reality here of our inability to control things. And so I think personally, uh, the New Testament writer who does the best job of expressing this control problem and being vulnerable, vulnerable about it. You see, the difference is there's a temptation as a preacher for me to tell you what you ought to do with your problem. That's one way to learn. And as a preacher, I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm directed scripturally uh, to preach and to teach. And so I'll strive to do that. Uh, but another way to teach people is to be open about your own experience with the problem and how you had to overcome it. This is much more uh, risky. Uh, Paul basically is taking this chance that in a church divided by personalities and people like this teacher and other people like this prophet and some like Apollo and some like Luke or whatever, in a church like that, he's going to bear his soul and he's going to say, even as a saved person, I have a struggle on the inside. Now, really quickly, so you understand the chance Paul is taking. Because if you don't understand this, you won't see the risk that Paul is taken, taking here to be honest and to teach us something from this moment. Uh, he's not saying, I, I've heard this taught this way before, and I, I actually have heard it taught more this way than the other, uh, but um, I think something is, is missed when we simply look at it from this perspective. Here's the, the most common. There's this old me who used to be a sinner, and I was a dirty no good, and it was cigarettes, whiskey, and wild, wild women. And uh, enough about how I met my wife. That's funny. And so uh, that's the old me. And that's who I used to be. And then, my God, the power came in. And I was changed, changed, changed. And the choir sang and the preacher kicked. And, my God, somebody laid hands on me. And I was changed. And now I don't have any problem with sin anymore. I'm per- near perfect. Um, yeah, good luck with that. So um, that's one way. That's the most common way. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's not saying the old sinner me struggled with this. He's saying the now me struggled with this. So just in case some of you are made nervous by uh, the scripture, it's always surprising people who are made nervous by the scripture. I will read this to you again. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. This is not the old me who was not trying to do good. This is the new me who wills to do good. I am trying to do good right now. And I find this evil, this law of temptation that is in me, not the old me, the now me, the person willing, striving, endeavoring to do good. He says, I delight in the law of the Lord according to the inward man. He's not talking about the old him. He's talking about the now him. I delight in the law of the Lord according to the inward man, but I've got a problem. There's another law in my members that wars against the law, the intention, the plan of my mind. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to walk in what is good. I'm trying to delight in the law of the Lord. And I've got this problem, this law fighting within me, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? And he says, I'm going to praise almighty God for the work that Jesus Christ has done. I have hope through Jesus Christ. I have now hope. I have fresh mercies. I have a new cleansing. I have a 
new altar. Every day I am renewed. This is what he's saying, but I want you to think about the risk of what Paul has taken. He's telling all these people, I'm not perfect. He's telling all these people, look, there even in me, Paul, who has suffered the loss of all things, that I might win a few people, even someone as committed as me. There's a law in me that wars against the things of God. You see, here's the reality. Not only are we not always in control of the things in our life, we often are not even in control of ourselves. Here's Paul being real. One other time Paul makes this, well, there's more than one other, but I I don't have time for them all. So I want to direct your attention to one other time where Paul takes this chance. And he basically says, look, uh, I'm going to tell you guys the truth about me. If y'all want to talk bad about me, have at it. Um, He he says this, look, I, I have a thorn in my flesh. Now, this is metaphor. We don't know what it is. I've heard, uh, I've listened to preaching my whole life. I've been a student of preaching. I'll give you the theories I've heard so far. The most common theory, usually by scholars, is, by, uh, is the idea that Paul was losing his vision. His, he was unable to read. Uh, quite common in the time, uh, and he struggled with this. Uh, you'll hear us a lot of scholars talk about that because that's the physical ailment that um, is probably most commonly attributed to law, Paul in his later years. Other people talk about some type of an ailment in his physical body, a sickness that would not be set away. Uh, a lot of preachers will talk about how within Paul is the memory of the persecution that he visited upon the people of God. And no matter what he did for the Lord, he remembered the cries of Stephen as Stephen was stoned as a testimony. And this was an ongoing battle in Paul's life. Here is uh, the Nathan Joel translation. Uh, I don't know. It was a thorn in the flesh. I know that's disappointing, but that's just me trying to be real. So I don't know. Thorn in the flesh. He didn't like it. And he says, I prayed about it. Now, when he says three times I prayed about it, he's not just talking about, uh, bless this food, Lord, we've got all gathered to receive. And, and oh, by the way, you know that thing I've been struggling with? Touch that too. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about seasons of intense, focused, dedicated prayer where he is not playing. He is taking names and kicking posteriors. He is not playing. He is focused. He is praying. He is a hundred percent on task. Three times he did that as the work of an intercessor and the Lord would not answer his request. Now, uh, preachers don't like to talk much about how they aren't powerful. Uh, preachers normally like to be powerful. Paul's saying, look, I tried to move God and I couldn't. And God finally got tired of me wasting my time and said, look, buddy, my grace is sufficient for you. You see, here's the problem. We want God to give us control when God's chosen to give us grace. There's a lot there. And you need to think about it this week. The circumstances in your life where you ask God for control and instead he gave you grace. And we can be ever so unsatisfied with grace. Like the children of Israel, we can be bitter about God giving us grace when what we wanted was control. But I want you to see that control is the oldest of God's creation's temptation. Lucifer, all the way back before the story of humanity had even been born, it was Lucifer who looked at God and was uncontent in himself, 
deeply discontented that God was in charge and he was subject to God. And so he said within himself, I will ascend to that throne. I will ascend to God's holy hill. I am going to, wait for it, take control. And when he came into the Garden of Eden to deceive uh, Eve there, he came with the temptation of control. God is keeping you down. But if you eat of this tree, you will become like God. And so uh, sin enters the human story because what we really want is control. We want to the world be ordered to our plans for it. We want people to do what we wish they would do. We want circumstances to become subject to our word. That's why faith and the proclamation of the miraculous is so tempting to the flesh of people who in no other aspect of their life do they want to serve God. They're still attracted by the miraculous. Why? Because it is that sense of control over problems, over circumstances, over pains, over loss. But if you, if you ever hear me today, I'm preaching to somebody. I'm reaching for somebody here today. If you want to, wherever you are in your walk with God, if you want to know what it's going to feel like to let God become the uh, the king of your heart and sit upon the throne of your life. I, I don't care if you've been serving God 50 years and have 17 religious degrees. I don't care if you've just started coming back to church and this is all kind of new to you and, and, and you're starting to get a little comfortable, but you know, occasionally folks can get a little excited and so you're kind of in that little nervous area. I don't care if you're here today because your life blew up and you had enough sense to run back to God. I don't criticize you for that. I commend you for that. When your life run, blows up, you really ought to try running to God. It's the best place to run. Can I have a big amen? Wherever you are on the spectrum of served God all your life and are quite pleased and not a little bit proud of how good you are, or you're way down here and your life just blew up and you came running back to God like a prodigal, wherever you are in that spectrum. You know what it's going to feel like to put God on the throne of your life? It's not going to feel like control. It's going to feel like submission. And the reason why some of us struggle so much with serving God, living for God, being used of God, being blessed of God, being anointed of God is because we're comfortable with everything except not being in control. And yet, control is the one thing that God would not take from his creation. He gave you a choice and he will not take it. And when you try to control people in your life, you are asking, you are taking from them what God himself would not take from them. You're taking control. Wherever we are in our walk with God, wherever we are, whether we're at the beginning or whether we've been doing it for a long time, what it's going to feel like today to lay something on the altar before God is not going to feel like power. It's not going to feel like majesty. It's not going to feel like shooting stars and fireworks. It's going to feel like submission where you come into the presence of God and you say, Lord Jesus, 
if, if there's any way where we can do things my way, I would like to do that first. Lord, plan A is always what I want. But, oh, I wish someone would hear me today. But if there's no way to do it my way, I accept whatever way you want to do it. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Who do we think we are when we fail to see that the crucible of sacrifice in the life and the death of Jesus Christ is bound up in this Gethsemane garden, this place of the crushing of the olives, this place where our flesh and ourself is crushed, and God in the flesh himself submits not to control, but to acceptance. Who do we think we are? That we're not going to submit, but instead we're going to control God. It doesn't work. There's a name for that that I've just made up for your listening pleasure. That is spiritual dysfunction. Where we are out of order. Wherever you are in your walk with God, if you are struggling with a past that always haunts you, you know how you're going to get out of that? You're going to surrender it to God. Because God does not give you control. He gives you grace. When we play God, the result is fear in our life. I'm almost done. Just stay with me a few more minutes. We try to control everything. We secretly know it's a facade. And so we're filled with fear. Because we know to our bones we don't have control. But we're pretending like we do. Fear can be fought by surrender. Secondly, frustration is the result of us serving God, pursuing control when God has not given us control. Finally, spiritual failure is the result when we try to play God. You are not equipped to do what only God can do. And if God himself will not take control in people's lives, why do we think God would give us the control he would not take for himself? But when we have not control, that is not the end of the story because we have been given something better. We have been given grace. Three times I prayed and I said, God, take this thorn from my flesh. And I had all these reasons why I'd be a better preacher if this thorn wasn't in my flesh. And I had all these theories about how I'd be a better church planner if you'd take this thorn from my flesh. And I had all these plans about other things I would do. My goodness, I wanted to go to Spain. But with the heaviness in my life and the thorn in my flesh, I couldn't do it. God, take.
take this thorn from my flesh. And God says to the apostle, my grace is sufficient. And once I realized God had given me grace instead of control, I stopped wasting his time and I stopped wasting mine because God shies away from the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. What is it going to feel like whether you're at the beginning of your journey or whether you've been serving God for 50 years? What is it going to feel like when you are given peace? What is it going to feel like when God steps into the throne of your heart and is crowned king in your life? What's that going to feel like? It's going to feel just like submission. Because you know what you do in the presence of God? You submit yourself and you say to him, where you lead, I will follow. Wherever you go, I will go. This is the prayer of Ruth. Your people will be my people. Reminds me of Jesus saying to Peter, do you love me? All right, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Uh, Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. What keeps you up at night? You need to surrender. What troubles you? You need to surrender. What damage is in a relationship? You need to surrender. What pain are you living with? You need to surrender. And if you will, you'll discover what it means to truly have God as the Lord of your life. And you can say with him, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Somebody say thy kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Here's the hard one. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you stand with me right now across the house? Here's what we're going to do today. I want to pray for you. And then the whole, we're going to move into a prayer service here at First Church. You guys are familiar with how we do it a lot of times in the middle of our services. We're going to do it at the end of our service today. Our praise team's going to come up. They're going to lead us in worship. And this whole house is going to become a prayer service because every one of us has something we need to lay down and surrender to God. So first I'm going to pray for you. And as I pray for you, our ministry team is going to come down to the front. They're going to get anointing oil. They're going to get ready because there's going to be deliverance in this house here today. There's going to be an outpouring of hope and faith in this house here today. Before you leave here today, somebody is going to have a new confidence that God has everything in control. I'm going to pray right now. My ministry team is going to come. Lord Jesus, you see every person here today under the sound of my voice. Lord Jesus, you know exactly what they've been living with. You know exactly what they've been facing, oh God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would break through the calluses of their life, the bitterness of their heart. And I pray you would... 
let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, I pray for everybody in this house. I pray for every individual. I pray your strength to them. I pray your help to them. I pray your blessing to them. I pray you'd walk with them, oh God. I pray you would meet them where they are and lead them where they need to go. I pray you would engraft in their spirit the truth they need to have for today. They don't need to know everything, God. They just need to know enough for today. Tomorrow will come and you'll have leading and guiding and blessing for them tomorrow. And next month will come and you'll guide them. I pray they would have confidence. I pray they would have spiritual life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you lift your hands all across the house? I surrender control it's about surrender hear me that's the why that's that's why people oftentimes will put on church like a new them and they'll start over and they'll do good for a few weeks and they fall off and then they quit coming to church because of shame because of guilt because they expected better of themselves because they thought serving God was about control Honey, you aren't strong enough. Serving God's not about control. It's about surrender. I surrender. I'm not king of my own castle, Lord. I'm not Lord of my own house. I'm your man. teams down here in the front if you need to talk to someone if you need someone to join you in prayer don't slip out the church is here to serve you they'll be down the front they'll pray with you thank you all for coming remember the things coming up we're doing our our prosper university drive to give away backpacks to the community the underprivileged kids in our community if you're here and you've been wanting to know more about the church i teach a small group class right after this today right across 
in the door right. Go right out the side door. You'll see the door over there called First Steps. We're on lesson number two today. If you haven't had lesson number two, uh, feel free to come over. We talk about the structure of the church. We talk about how the church handles money, uh, all of that kind of stuff. We're going to ask you to give to the church so you ought to know how we handle money. Uh, we want you We want you to find an open door of fellowship. We love you. Have a great week. Go in faith. Claim victory this week. Greet one another in the name of the Lord. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. And Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us. Thank you.